Spirit-Filled Summer continues as we talk about the fruits of the Spirit all summer long. This morning, we're going to look at the fruit of the Spirit of love. And listen closely. When I get to the end, there are three exercises that I'm going to recommend that you might want to pick one or two of them, or maybe all three, and work on this summer. But here's the first one. It'll be every week, all summer long. Memorize Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23. It's the place where the fruits of the Spirit are listed. And I encourage you to hide that word in your heart. I'm going to read several scripture verses to you today. I'm not necessarily preaching on all of them in part of my message, but I think they're important to set the tone for our summer together. It's Holy Spirit summer, spirit-filled summer. First one is Galatians chapter 5, 22 and 23. Most of you probably got a little business card size printout of that. There's a reason I gave you that. Hold on to it. But let's read this one first. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And if you've turned your Bible there, uh, skip backward a few verses to chapter 5, verse 13, where it says, My brothers and sisters, you were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. And then Ephesians chapter 3, beginning at verse 14. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all of the Lord's holy people, to grasp how high and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And then one last passage, Matthew chapter 6, beginning at verse 43. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are you not even... Are not even the tax collectors doing that? But if you greet only your own people, 
what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be, per be perfect, therefore, as your Father in heaven is perfect. Thank you, Lord, for your word. In his book, The Grace of Giving, Stephen Alford tells of a Baptist pastor who lived and served during the American Revolution. His name was Peter Miller. Peter happened to be a friend of George Washington. Uh, Peter lived in Ephrata, Pennsylvania. George, most of the time in, in the Revolution years, was in or around Philadelphia. There was another person who lived in Ephrata. His name was Michael Whitman. He's described as an evil-minded sort. <laughs> and he did everything he could to oppose uh, Pastor Miller. He would humiliate him. He would speak falsely against him. One day Whitman was arrested for treason against the colonies. And he was sentenced to die. And Peter Miller heard about it. And he walked the 70 miles from Ephrata to Philadelphia to beg for the life of Michael Whitman. And so when he got to Philadelphia, he found George Washington and, and asked if he would grant the life of, of Michael. George Washington looked at him and said, no, I, I can't do that. I can't grant you the request and the life of your friend. The crime he's committed deserves the punishment that has been, uh, been sentenced to him. I can't do this for your friend. And the pastor looked at Mr. Washington and said, oh, he's not my friend. As a matter of fact, he's the bitterest enemy I have. And Washington looked at, at Miller, a quizzical, dumbfounded look on his face, and said, well, that's a different story then. If you've walked all of this way, if you've done this for your enemy, then I have to consider things differently and I will grant you your request. And so Peter Miller and Michael Whitman walked together the 70 miles back to Ephrata. They became friends. Much like President Washington, we're amazed when we hear stories like this. Often we discount them as apocryphal, wondering if someone really could grant that kind of forgiveness and love to another who hurt them so much. How could we do such a thing? It isn't un, our unusual, or it isn't our usual behavior to uh, to seek the well-being of someone who has caused us such harm, such grief. But when we hear stories like this, we have to remember that Jesus walks right into the middle of these stories. His words are simple. Love your enemy. Anyone who has even the most basic knowledge of Jesus knows these words. Love your neighbor as yourself. 
love your enemy. How do we do that? Well, there could be answered a lot of ways, couldn't it? How, how do we do that? But I think one of the ways that we do that is that we find this grace, this, this little grace that God offers to us through the Holy Spirit. We call it one of the fruits of the Spirit, the grace of love. Now, you and I have love. We have love for lots of people. But, but the little grace that we're talking about here this morning, and I shouldn't call it little, but you, you understand what I mean. This grace is something that's supernatural. It's something that's not our own. It's something that is brought into us by the presence of the Holy Spirit. It, it is the character of God being brought into us and allowing us to live out the love of God. We're called by Jesus to love others. To love our enemies is the centerpiece of his most important message, the Sermon on the Mount. His call to love the world is to love with what the Wesley Study Bible calls an all-inclusive love. In the whole universe of people, we can exclude no one. We aren't allowed to leave anyone out of our love. We are to embody the love of God that says, God so loved the world. That means everyone. No one's excluded. No one can be excluded from the kind of love God calls us to live by. Uh, that means uh, Caucasians must love people of color. And people of color must love Caucasians. Christians are to love atheists. Democrats are to love Republicans, and Republicans are loved to love Democrats. We're to love each other no matter what we would identify as our sexual orientation. Northerners are to love Southerners, and Southerners are to love Northerners. And if you're a Northerner that's ever lived in the South, you know the depth of that statement. I remember when Linda would come home from working at the bank in Hickory, North Carolina, and she would say, they called me that again. <laughs> that Yankee. <laughs> Protestants are to love Catholics. Jews are to love Palestinians, vice versa. Christians are to love Muslims. Everyone must love cats. <laughs> well, maybe not. Cats technically aren't people, though they think they are. So maybe we can exclude that. Old people, listen, I wrote this before this morning happened, you know. Uh, old people are to love noisy children. And we love the sound of noisy children in this place. We do. So don't worry if your child makes a noise. Everyone is to love sinners. Everyone. We're all to love the people who have hurt us. Jesus makes no exceptions that allow us to withhold love from other persons. None. 
One of my study Bibles reminds us that Jesus calls us to live at a higher level than the rest of the world. Then it asks these two questions. Do I measure up to living at a higher level? If you were to look at your life today and think about this fruit of the spirit of love in your life, is there enough love evident in the way you relate with others that it says you're living at a higher level because of the presence of God in your life? Do I love with an all-inclusive Jesus spoke these words on the sermon, from the Sermon on the Mount. You know, he was speaking to a Jewish crowd that day. Nowhere in the Old Testament law does it say, hate your enemy. But it was an accepted practice of the Jewish ethic of Jesus' day. They lived it in their hatred of the Samaritans. This was the way of the world. Love those who were like you and hate those who are different. But Jesus comes and he introduces a whole new ethic. He turns their thinking totally around, a 180 degree turn, by insisting that we love our neighbors. We must love our neighbors. How? We love with an agape love. It's not about romance and passion and feelings. That's eros in the Greek language. That's eros love. The kind of love Jesus calls us to in embracing an all-inclusive love isn't about warm, fuzzy feelings. It's not the love we have for our friends. It's not about the kind of love that we have for our friends. That's philia. It's not the familiar love we have for our family. In the Greek, that word is storge. This is agape. This is the highest form of love that there is. I love this little definition that came from the Greek City Times. I don't know where the Greek City Times is published. And I hope you can read that red on there. You never know when you're looking at a little computer screen and you make these things what they're going to look like in a big screen. This love is unconditional, bigger than ourselves. A boundless compassion and an infinite empathy that you extend to everyone, whether they are family members or distant strangers. I think there's some key words in there. Unconditional bigger, boundless compassion, and infinite empathy. That's the kind of love we're called to. Agape is an act of the will rather than an act of the heart. It is action rather than feeling. We are called to make the conscious, rational decision that we will love all people and work for their good. We will love all people and work for their good. William Barclay said, agape is the power to love those whom we do not like and who do not like us. 
the power to love those we do not like and who do not like us. That, I think, is why the fruit of the spirit of love is so important, because it's not our power. It's a power beyond us. It's God's power, God's grace at work in us that helps us to love with an agape love. This kind of love is only possible to the person who lives within the grace of Jesus. Only the love of Jesus Christ can enable a man to have this unconquerable benevolence and this invincible goodwill in his personal relationships with other people. That's the words of uh, William Barclay. So we're called to a perfect way of loving. A perfect way of loving. To love without exclusions. Perfect there in that passage from the Sermon on the Mount just means complete. Totally complete. No one is left out. It's love without discrimination. It demonstrates the culmination of the work of becoming like Christ. It's to love like Jesus loves. It's a love that knows no boundaries. No boundaries of politics, personal choice, or religious belief. We're to love with an all-inclusive love. The love of Jesus. The best story I know to demonstrate it is one that you've heard before, most likely. The story of Corrie Ten Boom tells it in her book, The Hiding Place, of how she survived the concentration camps of World War II. Her whole family, if you know the story, you know that her whole family was imprisoned in those concentration camps, and she was the only one who survived. Their crime was hiding Jews in their home. And then she shares this story after the war. It was at a church service in Munich that I saw him. A former SS man who had stood guard at the shower room door in the processing center at Ravensbrück. He was the first of our actual jailers that I had seen since that time. And suddenly it was all there. The room full of mocking men, the heaps of clothing, my sister Betsy's pain-blanched face. He came up to me as the church was emptying, beaming and bowing. How grateful I am for your message, he said. To think that, as you say, he has washed my sins away. His hand was thrust out to shake mine, Corey says, and I, who had preached so often to the people in Blumendahl the need to forgive, kept my hand at my side. Even as the angry, vengeful thoughts boiled through me, I saw the sin of them. Jesus Christ died for this man. Was I going to ask for more? Lord Jesus, I prayed, forgive me and help me to forgive him. I tried to smile. I struggled to raise my hand. I could not. I felt nothing, not the slightest spark of warmth or charity. And so again, I breathed the silent prayer. Jesus, I prayed, I cannot forgive him. 
Give me your forgiveness. As I took his hand, the most incredible thing happened. From my shoulder, along my arm, and through my hand, a current seemed to pass from me to him. While into my heart sprang a love for this stranger that almost overwhelmed me. And so I discovered that it is not on our forgiveness anymore that our goodness, any more than on our goodness, that the world's healing hinges, but on his. When he tells us to love our enemies, he gives along with the command, the love itself. Let me ask you. Do you need a work of grace in your heart to have an all-inclusive love? An agape love that embraces everyone? Can you say that you love with that kind of all-inclusive love? My response really is only Jesus. So ask him to help you. Only Jesus. You know, this summer as we work our way through these fruits of the Spirit, there are some things that I'm going to suggest, uh, some exercises. You won't choose to do all of them, but, but I want to give you some exercises. And the first is, hold on, memorize Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Memorize it. Now, I memorized it years ago, but I have to slow down when I, record, when I quote it now for two reasons. One, the latest edition of the New International Version of the Bible changed a word on me. And if I'm not careful, I say it the way in the, the NIV Bible I've had since 1980. So I'm going to make myself relearn that. The other thing I realized this week, actually I realized it a while ago, but I was reminded this week, that when I memorized this, I interchanged two of the fruits of the Spirit. <laughs> and I say them backwardly from the way they, are, they appear in the Bible. But let's memorize this together. Now, some of you are saying, oh, I can't do that, I can't do that, I can't do that. I know, it's hard. I know it's not as easy now as it was when we were 22. I know. But are we going to use that as an excuse? Some of you are saying yes. <laughs> so let's read this together. Either off the, the screen, if you can read the red. I thought that darker red would stand out more. I apologize or the little card you got as it came in. Let's read it together. And I have to read it to make sure I get that one word right. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. So if you want to know what the next sermon coming up in my series is, it's right here. Take a guess. That's the first exercise. Here's the second exercise. This one I think is harder than the first one. And maybe you won't all choose to do it. 
But it comes from Adele Alberg Calhoun's big book, The Spiritual Disciplines Handbook. And she invites us to the spiritual discipline of compassion. And she suggests that we ask three people who are close to us if they will honestly answer some questions. So here are the questions. How do I come across to you? Ask people. Ask a close friend. How do I come across to you? Do, do I seem loving, kind? What is it like to be with me? Do I show interest in others? Do I mostly talk about myself? Now, I encourage you to ask these questions of somebody you're close to not just any old body, somebody who loves you, who will be gentle with you, but who will be honest with you. And then when you hear their responses, there's another question for you just to reflect on yourself. What do you learn about the way you come across? What do you learn? And where do you need to grow? That's the second exercise. The third exercise is the easiest one. It comes from uh, my friend Jeff Carlos. A couple of you in the room know Jeff. He shared uh, earlier this week, and I, I was already aware, but he shared in a group we were in earlier this week that his brother-in-law had died tragically in a, in a motorcycle accident a couple weeks ago. Of course, that's always horrific. You know, when you lose someone suddenly, it's just horrific. And Jeff said this. He said, you know, next time you're talking to somebody, don't forget to tell them you love them. And tell them every time. Because you never know when it might be the last. So... I think that one's the easiest of the three exercises. Don't forget to tell people that you love them and tell them every time. And guys, men, don't let your macho stop you. Lots of men aren't good at saying this, even to people that they really love. Go ahead and say it. I love you, and I want to tell you every time. The fruit of the Spirit is love. If others don't see love in you, how will they know that you even care about God? They must see love. Let's stand and pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for the reminders throughout the Bible that your way is a way of love. Help us to live in that, to walk in that, to be people of love because we are filled by the Spirit and we have been changed by that experience. 
remove from our hearts any ill will toward others, any malice, any wrong judgments. And help us to live out the beauty of the fullness of an all-inclusive love. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.